0: Good morning, John chapter 15, John chapter 15 is where we are this morning, if you please take your Bible and turn there, if you don't have your Bible, we I think we have those verses on the screen this morning, but if you do have your Bible, I think it's special if you have it in front of you, just to make certain that I'm not making up things, that's always a good idea, and to make certain that our sound booth has not put in the wrong scripture, so. Never know, trusting a, trusting a Macintosh. I don't trust any computers, personally. But, okay, John chapter 15. We're talking this morning about biblical friendship. Biblical friendship, okay? Biblical friendship. How many of you have ever felt like you did not have any friends I know it's getting personal already right from the get go. You ever felt like that? How many of you have ever ridden on a school bus? Feeling sorry for yourself the whole way, feeling like you didn't have any friends. Anybody? How many of you rode a school bus? Anybody okay. Teaches you how to fight, right, and survive. So many things kids are not going to learn today because they don't get to ride a school bus. But friendship is a gift from God. Here in John chapter fifteen, we're going to see what the Lord says about friendship. And in this text, to give you some context, Jesus' purpose on earth, right here in this passage, is reaching a climax. He is getting ready to go to the cross. At the end of chapter 14, he says, Rise, let us go from here. Where is here? It is the upper room. So what he's about to teach the disciples takes place somewhere between the upper room and the garden of Gethsemane. He shares this message about the vine and the branches. So let's look in John chapter 15. We're going to read all the way from verse 1 through verse 16. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does, that does bear fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will want love one another. Let's pray. Father, together as your people, God, we just declare by faith, Lord, that we believe that you are here. And God, we're desperate for you to speak, to to encourage us, God, to Show us, Lord, what you want to show us. And so, God, give us ears to hear this morning. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here you'll notice in verse, the first few verses that the Lord wants us to abide in him because that's where the fruit comes from. Life comes through Christ. Verse 5, the Lord is very blunt. Many people probably have taken this out of their Bible. But he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That goes against everything in American culture. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. But the Lord says, apart from me, you can do nothing. He means they are absolutely nothing. If this is the case, why do we exert so much energy and effort? Trying to produce fruit on our own strength trying to make ourselves better. Don't you see that in social media all the time? Read it in the newspaper, read it in the magazine, how to do this better, how to make yourself better. Now friendship has become about that. You make me better. Friend, Jesus makes us better. The Lord, what the Lord's saying here is a a secret, and if he can reveal this to us this morning, is that really the Lord... He's saying he will do it all. I know this seems crazy, but he will do it all. All he's asking us to do is to come and die. To be all in. To carry your cross. It seems difficult, but if you measure it against eternity, it's really quite simple. Jesus died on the cross to purchase heaven for you, to set you free. To make you holy and right. He went to prepare a place for us for all eternity. The least we can do is give him a few seconds of eternity. He's worth it. But the real fruit comes not from something you do or I do, but coming from abiding in the Lord. And then the Lord talks about these branches that are thrown to the fire. They are dead men walking. They're like Judas branches. They were artificial. They were never connected to the vine in the first place. That's the case today for many people. You're not connected to the vine because you don't know Christ. You never surrendered your life to him. You, tr- you can't just add church or Christianity to everything else you're doing. No, friend. You've got to leave all that behind and follow Christ. All in, once and for all. And when you get into that, you realize, man, this wasn't a sacrifice at all. The Lord's so much better than anything this world can give me. But concerning the perseverance of the saints, which is th- what we believe in, that once you come and know the Lord... That's not going to change. You didn't earn it, and you can't lose it. But what the Lord's talking about here is people that were never connected. Concerning the person, uh, they, they, time and time again, we see, when you find a difficult passage, what do you do? We talked about this a few weeks ago. You measure it against the whole of Scripture, okay? That's good hermeneutics. You, you measure a verse that's difficult against what does the rest of the Bible compare it. And you'll, you'll find clearly the truth. John chapter 10, verse 28, the Lord said, I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's good news, friend, if you know Christ today. That is a good word. John chapter 6, verse 37, the Lord guaranteed the security of the believer, the child of God. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. So if you are a branch this morning, guess what? The Lord, He prunes the branches. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says that for those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. And He scourges every son whom He receives. Why does the Lord discipline us? Because He loves us. That's why. He doesn't want us to get hurt. He wants us to to be blessed. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to produce what? Fruit. That's what life's about, producing fruit for his glory. Fruit that we can't even produce on our own. It's a great mystery. The secret is abiding in Christ. Has nothing to do with our performance. Many times we think that we go through trials or we are struggling or we lose a family member or we're sick or our children are sick, or we lose a job because we must not have performed well enough for the Lord. Friend, that's hogwash. That's not true. The Lord disciplines those that he loves. And maybe your trial has nothing to do with your performance as a believer. He wants your heart, not what you can do for him. He doesn't need you and does, certainly doesn't need me. What kind of fruit is the Lord talking about? You'll get a few debates on this, but he's talking about fruit, spiritual fruit. We know in Galatians there's fruit of the Spirit. I believe, according to this text, verse 7 sheds a little bit of light on that. If you abide in me, what happens? My words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So one fruit that can come from abiding in Christ is effectual prayer. It means that your prayer works. If you abide in Christ, he'll listen to you. That's good news. Having prayer that works. It's the most powerful force in the universe. And then there in verse 8, you see purpose. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That's why we're here, to produce fruit. Verse 10, it kind of starts wrapping it up, and he says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So you may think this morning, well, how do I abide in Christ? Well, do what he says. Do what the Lord says. It's not rocket science. If you love me, you'll do what I say. And then verse 11, he sheds light on another fruit of the Spirit. Look at it. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy is another fruit of the Spirit. If you meet somebody that says they love God and they walk around with the Bible and they never smile ever, they're never happy, Friend, they're probably not abiding in Christ. They probably really don't love the Lord a lot. You can't follow Jesus and be miserable all the time. You might suffer every day, but you'll have the joy of the Lord. There's nothing more thrilling and fun and joyful than pursuing Christ and holding on for dear life. Man, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm done. Have you ever been there? That's a good spot. It's a good spot to be. That's what the Lord wants. He wants to be dependent on him you're depending on your own strength, you're never going to get to taste that adventure, that excitement, that genuine relationship with the Lord, walking with Christ. I believe when we follow the Lord sometimes for fun, God just says, watch this. Watch this. But if you're not abiding in Christ, you're not going to get to experience that. So then in verse 12, is another fruit of abiding in Christ. So the reason that I shared the first few verses quickly, I know that was fast and did not squeeze at all, all the, the, the fruit and the uh, j- meat out of that passage. But let's hone, on, hone in here on verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. It's his commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. The Lord had spent three years with these disciples, these 12 guys, men. You think they ever had fun together sitting around the campfire? And he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, guys, love each other how I have taught you how to love. I've taught you how to do it. I've served you. I've loved you. I've been patient with you. I've encouraged you. And now I'm going to lay my life down for you. Now do that for each other. That's what the Lord's saying. Do that for each other. I've taught you. You don't even have to buy that, that book, Loving Each Other for Dummies. I've taught you. I've spent three years with you. I've taught you how to do it. Just do it. So this morning, I do not want to make a case that believers should be BFF with everyone, okay? But I do want to make the case that biblical friendship is good and right and necessary if you're going to follow Christ. And it's necessary for us to become all that the Lord wants us to be. So hopefully, this morning, your BFFs will speak well of you. But Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, listen to this verse. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. So as much as you would like that, friend, it's not feasible for the Christian, for everybody to like you and love you and think that you're wonderful. It's just not feasible. It does not work out in the kingdom of God. It's unrealistic. And, friend, that's vanity. It's unnecessary. It's for your life. It's a beautiful thing knowing that today you're not running for office and that the Lord's not called you to be the class favorite of your social circle. Just take that pressure off. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that good news? Everybody, you're, you're, excuse me, everyone at your workplace this morning, they don't have to absolutely think that you are the greatest woman that ever lived or the greatest man on the planet. Isn't that good news? Take that pressure off you. In fact, Proverbs 18, verse 24, listen to this. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So this morning, God has called you and I, because of our new identity, being born-again believers. He has called us to enter into biblical friendships with other believers for the purpose of accountability, fellowship, and encouragement. Look at the Lord. Let's think about Jesus once again. That's always a good thing in the sermon. He had this father-son relationship with these 12 guys. But the human side of the Lord, he had the 12, but then there were three, right? There were three that he was a little bit closer to. They were his closest friends, James, Peter, and John. Now, this probably perplexed the other disciples, I mean, imagine if you're one of the other nine and you're not one of the three and you've given up your life to follow this man. That had to be a struggle. Did the Lord love them more? Did he not care about the, all the twelve the same? Those three were able to go to the transfiguration. Those three were able to go witness the healing of Jairus' daughter. In Mark chapter 5, the Lord wouldn't let the rest of them go. He said, no, just you three. These three were invited to go with Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Interesting. Now, the other nine, if you look through Scripture, they were hardly ever complaining about this. Now, they did have a few arguments about who was the greatest. okay. But they never really you never see a lot in Scripture where they are complaining about the Lord having these three that he's closer to. It's fascinating. Why is that? I don't know for certain, but I've got a guess right now. I believe it was because the Lord Jesus showed every one of the disciples how much he loved them. He proved to each one of them that he cared. So somewhere around the campfire, he made it to every one of them. Over those three years, he spent a lot of time with every single one of them. And they never doubted that. They never doubted that the Lord loved them. So here's this truth. Here's the application. Insecurity divides people. Church, you with me? Trusting in Christ, trusting in his love for you and his motives unites us. Insecurity divides. Trusting Christ unites So here's a few facts about biblical friendship. Number one, ready? Number one, biblical friendship transcends age, race, and preferences. Can I get an amen? Biblical friendship transcends age, race, and preferences. Psalm 145 verse 4 says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. So, the reality, if we're going to be honest this morning, is our culture is divided among generations. Not everywhere, but in a lot of places you notice it. It's just that way in America, probably more than any other country. And these barriers, they can be barriers, they, they can divide generations. Generations. But if we abide in Christ, we can overcome these. We are blessed to have every generation in this church. Now, there's one generation that I'm concerned about us not reaching the most, and that's college students. I don't know why. Maybe it's because they just go to school and come back, but that's just on my heart all the time. But if you look at every other generation, there's a very good representation in our church family That's not the case at many churches today. Did y'all know that? There's a lot of churches today that are closing up shop. Me and Allison next week, this this upcoming week, in fact tomorrow, we're going to the Mississippi Baptist Convention. And there's a lot of churches represented at that thing. They're they're filled with either younger folks or older. There's very few that have a healthy representation of all. Why is that? Why? Why? By the way, thankfully, the North American Mission Board, International Mission Board, part of our our cooperative program, they're planting churches in record numbers. But why is it difficult to have all those ages? Well, some would argue that in America, we've never had, because of health, we've never had five generations until recently. It's a modern phenomenon the past 15, 20 years. We've never had five generations in churches. Never had to deal with that before. So... Maybe there's some merit to that. People are living longer in America than ever before. And so so, our society is divided when it comes to generations. But there are priceless things that the older generation can teach the younger. I'll give a few of those. Like how to go to work when things are not fair. Amen? Like how to go to work... When things are not fair. How to get over it and go punch in and punch out. Keep your head down. Don't complain. Don't worry about what so-and-so's doing. Another one. The older generation can teach the younger. How to be consistent in spiritual disciplines. You hardly ever have to worry about the older generation in the church tithing. Thankfully, we do have a lot of younger families that tithe faithfully as well. But there's a lot of spiritual disciplines that older generation can pass down to the younger generations. And then another one, the lastly, experience. Experience is one of the best teachers. There's a lot of wisdom that older generations can pass down to the younger. Now, I believe one mistake that the older generation, if I may dare to say this, in discipling the next generation, is sometimes it has happened that Filling the heads with facts about God has been with the heart to disciple, but it's been more of trying to fill the head up with facts about who the Lord is instead of showing a dem- demonstrational love for the Lord. It takes both. It takes both. No one's going to care how much you know until they know how much you care. There are also priceless things that the younger generations can teach the older Example, the, the younger generation can challenge older generations to revere the Bible more than tradition. Why do we do that? Why have we always done it that way? What's the purpose? Younger generations invigorate and energize older generations. And lastly, another silly example is how to set up an auto draft for your electric bill. That's a good thing. Now, the danger in that is if you don't have enough money in your checking account, you're going to go south real quick. Stamps are not five cents anymore. They're 50 cents per stamp. That's real money when you use auto draft if you can I showed my great aunt last night in Jackson, Mississippi, how to uh, how to put a profile pic on her book face, and she almost she gave me a hug and she almost started crying. She said, "I've been wondering how to do this for weeks." Changed her life. That's a real thing. It's a, it's it was very difficult for her. So there's great benefits. Having have many generations. We need men and women who will not just teach their children about the Lord, but we need men and women who will teach their children, show their children how to walk with the Lord by example. Parents, you cannot take your children somewhere you have not been. You can't do it. You can't take your children somewhere you've not been with the Lord. Another truth about biblical friendship. Number two, biblical friendship shares the truth. That's what a friend does. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. I mean, there's the small things like at the dinner table and there's something hanging from your chin. I mean, a friend's going to help you out. Hey, you got a little something something right there. That's love. That's a friend. Then you have the big things. Like a lady tells her friend, hey, I'm not so sure if going to find a husband at the club is probably not the best place to find a godly man. Just saying, because I love you. Or maybe you tell your friend, hey, I I think you need to be aware of that person. They have a false motive, and I'm looking out for you, and I love you. True friends are open and honest with one another because why? Because they care. They care about you. Now, I want to be careful. I want to warn us with this regard. Some things we have to earn when it comes to speaking into people's lives. Can I say that? There's a certain bubble that you can't just walk into somebody's life and just start asking certain types of questions or start necessarily trying to speak into that area. This is why Jesus had three. There's a certain personal space that you should not let every church member walk into in your life. Okay, That's not what the Lord wants. He wants healthy relationships. But we need to make sure that we are developing those two to three, four, five, six people in our life that can be in that bubble. They can ask you any question they want to ask whenever they want to ask it. And I'm afraid that the reason the church in America has become so entangled with sin is because we have not had biblical friendships. We have not had accountability in our lives. Let's just love everybody. Friend, that's just not reality. Love is hard sometimes. Sometimes you have to hear the truth. So if you don't have that this morning, you could be in trouble. But good thing for you, You can walk out of here with a determination and a courage that says, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to find the right kind of friends. Serving in 11 years in student ministry in American church has been hilarious. I can't tell you how many people have come to me and said, you know, the next 10 weeks in a row we've got a baseball tournament and uh, we just can't seem to find any friends in our church. I'm like, you're never there. Ten weeks in a row? I mean, I played All-Stars growing up. I played on three different All-Star teams, but now they have like 25 teams in one year. We do need to, ha- need to be out there. But we, parents, we need to make sure that our kids and our grandchildren know that it's a priority to be in the house of the Lord on the Lord's Day. It's a priority with our f- checkbook that we're going to serve the Lord and not ourselves. they got to see that. And then when they go to college, they want a pastor from the church to come help talk to their child. And I'm thinking, well, the past six years you've taught them that the Lord's not really a priority in your life. And you want me to come tell them that Jesus means everything. Friend, if we don't have accountability in our life, that Satan will sift us like wheat. He don't care about you or your family. He hates you because the Lord loves you. Abide in Christ and we'll be covered. Number three, biblical friendship is held together by Christ. So you say, well, I don't have nothing in common with that person. Yes, you do. If they're a believer, you do. Absolutely. Saved by the same God, you've tasted the same grace, you're going to the same place for all eternity, you better get to know him now. Give me in for a rude awakening when you get to the top, possibly. Biblical friendship is held together by Christ, the Lord. He's the common bond. He's divine. He's the head of the church. We might not all have the same function, but we all have the same head, and that's Christ. First Corinthians chapter eight verse six says, For for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things, who are all things, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom we are all, all things, and through whom we exist. Number four Biblical friendship loves at all times. Proverbs seventeen, verse seventeen. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. That's true biblical friendship. They're going to love you in the good times and in the bad times. In the times that people in the world that don't know Christ, they don't get that kind of commitment. They just want, a lot of times you see in the world, not everybody, but you see a lot of times, it's what can we get out of you, right? But biblical friendship's not like that. A friend loves at all times. Billy Graham says that God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Proverbs 27, verse 9 through 10 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Example of this, I had a friend who began to live a re- totally wicked lifestyle. Just running hard from the Lord. And... Uh, his mom passed away. And he had cut all his Christian friends out of his life. But when his mom passed away, God's people showed up. God's people drove. God's people took airplane tickets, flights. People came from all over, from many different states to show up. And what broke my heart is I as I looked around and I noticed none of his running boys were there none of the people that he was drinking all night with, doing all these things with none of them were there, they didn't care broke my heart God's people will show up when you need them the most you may say well I don't have any close friends are you a part of a small group in our church do you go to Sunday school Sometimes we've got to put ourselves out there. And it's a scary thing, I know. It's difficult. But it takes a friend to be a friend. You've got to put forth some effort. Now this morning, if all your friends don't make it to the funeral of your loved one, don't be offended. We are Christians. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. If you have been a friend and you have been a healthy part of the body of Christ then you will have plenty of people at your funeral. It will be a great testimony. But if you are not friendly to anybody, you might not have anyone at your funeral. That's just reality. Closing verses, Romans chapter 12. Quickly, Romans chapter 12. This is so good. It's straight from the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. That means hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice. Rejoice. Live peaceably with all. So, this morning, God has called all of us to be, to enter into Christian friendship. It's not optional if we want to be healthy and happy believers. The Lord did not say this would be easy, He didn't say it would be easy. So, I have a quote from John Wayne I'd like you to hear. Courage is being scared to death and saddling up, anyways. So, if you care about your life, if you care about the health of your life, you can do what it takes to enter into some biblical friendships. You might have to get in some different circles that you're in now. You might have to put yourself out there and go to a different class on Wednesday night or Sunday night. You're, you might have to start going on Sunday night or you might have to, I don't know. That's up to you. It's a very personal thing. You got to decide. But if you ask for God's help, I bet you he'll tell you how to find some new friendships. Jesus said he'll be your friend. He's really the only friend you really need. But to be healthy, he's given you his people. You say, well, I don't know if the Lord loves me. God showed his love for you on the cross. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Jesus said from the cross, even though you're hurting, even though your life's a mess, even though you're lonely, I love you. That's what the Lord said. He's saying it today. We're about to go into a time of invitation. How will you respond to what the Lord is leading you to do? How will you respond this morning? He wants you to be healthy, and believe it or not, he wants you to be happy most of the time. He wants you to be content. He wants you to be set free. He wants you to have the joy, his joy and his peace in you all the time. Do you want it? If you do what he says, you will abide in Christ. And when we abide, abide in Christ, good things happen. Let's pray.